Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you don't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 3. The book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 3. We are continuing with our series of the pastoral epistles, observing where Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to not churches, but to individuals behaving in the office of a pastor. Of course, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy was right, written to Paul's son in the faith, Timothy, who is overseer of the work in Ephesus, whereas Titus is overseeing the work in Crete. And both of them have been given the responsibility to oversee the, um, these churches. When you understand the context that this is written to an individual acting as a pastor and observing how a pastor is supposed to teach the people, it puts a couple more things into context. For example, who is responsible in making sure that doctrine is preached correctly? According to the Bible, it is the pastor's job to oversee doctrine, to oversee and to make sure that proper doctrine is taught within the church. As we go on, we've been we now find our way to the book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 3. The book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 3, and we find ourselves starting at verse number 14. 1 Timothy and chapter number 3, notice with me in verse 14. The word of God says this, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and notice with me in verse number 15, where it says, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God. And so with the Lord's help, I like to preach a message based on that, on how to behave in the house of God. How to behave in the house of God. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you now, we're just asking that you would give us wisdom, give us discernment, help us, Lord, as we open up the Bible, that we could see what you say about your church and what you have as an expectation for your church, and that you would teach us how to behave as the church. Again, this is something that your Holy Spirit must do. All I am is the messenger, but I'm asking the best I know how to surrender myself, to get out of the way, and you fill me with your precious spirit, and that you would make your word come alive. Let it be worth it to be in the house of the Lord, that we could learn something about you, learn something about what you have planned, and draw us near to you to take our place in what you have in this world today. Thank you again for you being a wonderful God. In Jesus' name, amen. Of course, as we've already mentioned, that the Apostle Paul is the human penman of this book of 1 Timothy. And Paul has just been released from his first 
prison stint in Rome. Remember that Paul was arrested in Jerusalem and false trials, kept there in the area for about two years. Then he was transported into Rome. While he was at Rome, he was on house arrest, awaiting for someone to come and accuse him. After they did not come to accuse him, he stood before Nero, who was the Caesar at that time, talked to Caesar, gave him a Gave Nero a gospel witness and Nero let him go. However, it is at this time in between Paul's prison stints. Paul is going to be arrested later on by Nero and be put to death. But during this time in between the prison stints, he is trying to get as much done as possible. And so as he's telling telling, uh, Timothy, notice again in verse 14. These things write I unto thee hoping to come unto thee shortly. Paul says, hey, I have a desire to come back and I want to see you. However, with the changing political climate, he could already sense that Nero was starting to go off the deep end. Hey, I may not get back to you as quickly as I want, but if I'm not able to get back to you, verse number 15, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how to behave thyself in the house of God. He says, Timothy, I'm trying to get back to you, but if I tarry, I want to give you instructions. I'm trying to write these things down for you so you know how to behave yourself in the house of God. Now, that's a very interesting phrase, that you may know how to behave thyself in the house of God. Now, what is this talking about? Is this talking about that, all right, kids, you're not supposed to take your pencil in the back of the pew and begin to dig a hole and see how big you get it. It's not talking about the idea of, all right, let's teach our kids not to draw in the hymn books, even though that's something we want to teach them not to do. I heard once of a preacher who was visiting a church, and he had a hymn book, and as they were singing on the page, on the top of it written in pencil, and and some kids writing, it says, turn to page number 285. So out of curiosity, he turned to 285. And then in pencil, it said, turn to 493. So he turned to 493. Then it said, turn to page eight. And so he turned to page eight. And then the other one, it says, turn to the end of the book. And so he turned to the end of the book. And what next was just a handwritten message of just some kid had wrote something down. And But this isn't what it's talking about. It's not talking about how not to do the basic things, how not to put holes in the pew or write in there. But instead, it is talking how they ought to behave thyself in the house of God. Basically, how to behave thyself as a church member, as someone who is a part of the church. How you ought to behave yourself as a representative of God. And so if you don't mind, as we have that idea in context, knowing that we need to know how to behave ourselves in the house of God as a representative of God, as part of the assembly, if you don't mind, I'd like to start off just to give us context, to give us an understanding. First of all, we see that there are three different terms given for the church, for the house of God here. And as we understand each of these terms, It will also help us to know how we're supposed to behave ourselves because of these terms. So as we go through here, let's see these three terms that are mentioned here that are synonymous, that are used as a descriptive for the house of God. Notice if you don't mind the first thing that we find in verse number 15. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God. Of God. So the first description we have here of the church is the house of God. 
the house of God. We know that the word house just means covering, and it carries the idea of a dwelling place. That when you go to your house, we're saying that's where you dwell. That's where you put your presence at. That's where you're at. It's not much to have much of a house or a home if you don't live there. You call it your home because that's where you dwell. That's where you place your presence. We know that God doesn't dwell in dwelling, pla- uh, dwelling <laughs> excuse me, that God doesn't dwell in places made by hand, but it's to be a representation of God's presence among his people. We know that in the Bible there are three historical institutions, three historical places that was called the house of God. The very first place that was called the house of God would be, of course, the tabernacle. The tabernacle. Now, the purpose of the tabernacle was a temporary structure in the times of the wilderness wanderings to allow the people to know that their presence was with them. If you don't mind, let's turn and let's look at the Old Testament, the book of Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. Exodus 40 is the last chapter in the book of Exodus. And let's see more of this description of the house of God dealing with the idea of a tabernacle. The tabernacle was the first description of the house of God. Exodus in chapter 40. So again, the tabernacle was something they built under the instruction of God. By the way, the tabernacle is the only perfect building because it was completely designed by God and overseen by God. And so they had the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was to be the representation of God's presence among the people. How was that accomplished? Look with again with me in the book of Exodus in chapter number 40. And let's pick it up in verse number 34. Exodus 40 in verse number 34. Notice this. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, And fire was on it by night. And the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So here it gives a description of how the the presence of God dealt with the tabernacle. That was the children of Israel as they were being led by God. They were led by the presence of God which was visible as a cloud of smoke during the day. And a pillar of fire at night. Can you imagine watching this pillar of fire at night to see it burning and to see it in the presence? It would almost give you a comfort that God is there. And during the day, the pillar of cloud and you could see this pillar of smoke. And whenever the pillar moved, the whole camp packed up their stuff and there was a specific order that they would pack their stuff. And there was a specific order of who would pack the stuff. And there was a specific order of how the tribes followed. And when they settled how they would be arranged and that's all interesting great study but the most important thing is that whenever the pillar moved the people followed it so if the pillar went over here the people followed if the pillar went over there they followed then when the pillar stopped they would build the tabernacle right there in the mist right there where God's presence was 
and they would set up their camp around the tabernacle. So the tabernacle would be center and then you would have three tribes over here, three tribes over here, three tribes over here, three tribes over here. And they were all set in a certain way, in a certain order. Just an amazing study to see visually how that is put together. <coughs> but here the presence of God was dwelling with them. It was manifest. And sometimes it was manifested so thick, the glory of the Lord, that even Moses could not approach the tabernacle because of the presence of God. That Moses was just a man and he could not approach because God's presence was so manifested. And again, this is called the house of God, the dwelling place of God, the representation of God's presence among the people. Well, we know the tabernacle was one picture, one institution that God called the house of God. Another one would be the temple, the temple. Notice with me, if you don't mind, the book of 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings in chapter 8. <clears throat> We're talking about that in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3, that it says that we, need to, that we ought to know how to behave ourselves in the house of God. And if we, in order to understand how we're supposed to behave ourselves as a part of God's house, as a part of God's church, that we need to understand what does God mean when he's referencing these. We know that the house of God is used in three different institutions. The first was the tabernacle, the temporary dwelling place, the temporary tent that was made so the people would follow them. Then next comes the temple, the temple. Notice with me in 1 Kings chapter 8. Notice with me in verse 1. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribe and the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel unto King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they may bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto the King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ithinim, which is in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the ark and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tabernacle of the congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle, even these did the priest and the Levites bring up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be told nor numbered for the multitude. And the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord into his place and into the, into the oracle of the house to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread their forth their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves that the ends of the staves that were seen out of the holy place before the oracle, and they were not seen without, and they were. <laughs> And they are unto this day. And there was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone which Moses put there at Horeb. And the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priest were come out of the holy place and the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of God had filled the house of the Lord. What we're speaking here is now the temple. Now Solomon 
on, <laughs> had permission of God to build a temple, which was based off the dimensions of the temple, just made bigger. And the temple was built on one of the hills in Jerusalem, Mount Moriah, and it was made to sit on the top of the hill. And Solomon even overlaid it with gold. So it was made so if someone was coming to Jerusalem, they would see the sun glittering off the gold and it would represent the glory of God shining off of it. It was made to be a picture, a representation that God's presence was there. And as we see as the things were moved out of the tabernacle and moved permanently into the temple that God's presence filled that place to show the presence of God. So right now we have two things that are mentioned as the house of God. We see, first of all, the tabernacle, the permanent dwelling place. And what was the big deal about the tabernacle? It had God's presence on it. We could see the temple, and the temple was the permanent structure built in Jerusalem by Solomon under the permission of God, and it had God's presence on it, and it was built in such a way to magnify that God's presence was with him. What is the third part, third institution that was called the house of God? Turn back with me to the book of 1 Timothy chapter number one, or chapter three. 1 Timothy chapter number three so there are three historical places that was called the house of God. The tabernacle, the temple. But notice with me again in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. But if, thou, if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave in the house of God. The house of God. So once again, we see all three of these structures. The tabernacle, the temple, and the house of God, the church. All of them are called the house of God, and all of them have this common quality. They are to represent and to have the presence of God with them. Why is this a big deal? Because we're getting an understanding of how we're supposed to behave ourselves in the house of God. How are we supposed to behave ourselves? Knowing that, first of all, God's presence should be here. And we should behave like God is here. We should behave like God is invited. You understand there are churches all over right now that are having service that God is not there and the people don't even realize he's not there. They're so distracted with entertainment, so distracted with other things, and they're not seeking for God, not looking for God, and God is not even in their minds while they're at quote-unquote church. If we're supposed to behave ourselves as part of the house of God, we need to behave ourselves like God is here with us in our midst. There should be a reverence. There should be a soberness, a seriousness, a somberness. That doesn't mean that we can't smile or can't enjoy ourselves. You should have fun at church. But there should be some things that we don't take lightly of. That this is an important time where we're planning on meeting with God and that God's presence is here and we should act like it and behave it and look forward in anticipation. I'm going to go meet with God, gathering together at the place that he has chosen to put his presence, his name upon. Which brings us to a second thing. That not only do we see this description of the house of God in 1 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse 15, that we could see that three things that God was describing 
as the church, we see, first of all, he calls it the house of God, the dwelling place of God's presence. But we see a second thing that God mentions here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Verse number 15. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave in the house of God. Notice this. Which is the church of the living God. The church of the living God. So once again, we need to define our terms. What do we mean by here? What are we expecting? Well, if you were to take the word church and put a definition based off of the, the information given in the New Testament, you could come up with a definition of the church like this. That the New Testament church is a group of baptized believers voluntarily gathering themselves together for the purpose... Of accomplishing the Great Commission. If you were to study the New Testament. How it describes the church. And everything that goes along with it. We can see that the definition of a New Testament church. Is a group of baptized believers. Voluntarily gathering themselves together. For the purpose of accomplishing the Great Commission. Well, Let's break down that definition. We see that the New Testament church. Is a group of baptized believers. So who is a part of the church? People have been biblically baptized. In order to be biblically baptized, you first must be saved. So we understand that a church is full of saved people. That those who are a part of a membership of the church, who are part of the church, are saved people who have purposely followed in believers' baptism, as the Bible describes it. So it is a group of baptized believers voluntarily gathering themselves. So everyone that came here today... You have volunteered to come here. I'm assuming nobody put a gun to your head and said, listen here, you're going to make it to church or else. No one's twisted your arm. No one threw you in the back of a van and dragged you out and placed you here. You are come here because you're on volunteer. Now, we all know that there have been some times in history that people have violated that, whereas they had the covenical laws in England that said you are required to go to on Sunday to the Church of England or else. And John, uh, sorry, <coughs> excuse me, John Bunyan was an example of someone who broke the covenical law and was placed in a jail because he broke that law, saying that I believe that God wants me to be a Baptist, going to a Baptist church, and that I have no plans on going to a Church of England church. But he was given the idea that church should be somewhere where you volunteer. You're not here because you were forced to. You're here because you made a conscious choice. That's where I want to go. So again, a New Testament church, a group of baptized believers voluntarily gathering themselves together. And that's the whole definition of a church, by the way. It is an assembling together. The word church, ecclesia, is an assembling together for a common purpose. That's the basic definition of ecclesia, church. We say a New Testament church is a group of baptized believers voluntarily gathering themselves together. That gathering themselves together is the church. We'll give more definition to that in a second. But may I say that a church isn't four walls. It's where the people of God have chosen to assemble themselves together. And the Bible gives further definition in the book of Hebrews where it says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. You understand that if we're going to be pleasing to God in the way that we live our life, that God has given us the command, not the option, not the suggestion, 
to assemble ourselves together when we assemble. That if, as long as you're not providentially hindered. We understand there's times of providentially hindered. I was in the military during a wartime scenario. There were some times I could not make it to the assembling together that I was a part of. That's providentially hindered. The ox is in the ditch. Things happen. But as long as you're able to make it, you are required under the book of Hebrews with, <laughs> to assemble yourselves together. That's what God has chosen to do to have us assemble together. So a New Testament church, as we study the definition, is a group of baptized believers voluntarily gathering themselves together for the purpose. Remember, the gathering always has a purpose. Why are we gathered together? For the purpose of accomplishing the Great Commission. That is the whole responsibility of the church is the Great Commission. To go reach people with the gospel and teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Reaching and teaching. A church that is not <laughs> trying to accomplish the Great Commission is not a biblical definition of a church, meaning a New Testament church. They may be an assembling together, but we're talking about what does the Bible say about a New Testament church. It is a group of baptized believers voluntarily gathering themselves together for the purpose of accomplishing the Great Commission. That is our purpose. Anyone who joins our church, we ask them, do you believe it is God's will for you to join together with us for the purpose of accomplishing the Great Commission? Putting your life and influence in this church <laughs> that's what we want. If somebody says, I don't believe I'm supposed to be here to help you accomplish the Great Commission, that's fine. But we were looking for people who say, it is God's will for me to assemble together for the purpose of accomplishing the Great Commission. Putting together, putting my life and influence and putting that together. Now, I gave you the definition. Let's see what the Bible has to say concerning this idea of the church of the living God. That's also an important description. We're not gathering together of a church that's far away or of a God that's far away or of a God that's dead. We are the church of the living God. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. And I know that he is living no matter what men may say. <laughs> I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. We serve a living Savior, a living God, and we gather together because our God lives. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, and let's see a little bit more what God says about this matter. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Notice as he gives further definition of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Notice with me in verse 16. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Knowing not that if ye are the temple of God. And that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. If a man defile the temple of God. Him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple ye are. Now here we have a little bit further definition. There's other passages that speak about that. That we understand that God doesn't dwell within these four walls. 
He dwells within our hearts. We are the temple of the living God. We are the dwelling place of God. And as a church, we assemble together because God lives within us. Now remember, the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the presence of God and it was manifested by the pillar of smoke, by the pillar of fire. The temple was the supposed to be the picture of God dwelling with them and it was shown physically by the gold glinting off the the, uh, the sunlight glinting off the gold that you could see the presence but also the presence of God happened to be there several times but it was supposed to be the picture of God's presence dwelling within us then we as the church of the living God knowing that that God doesn't dwell he doesn't have a bed upstairs you can't go knock on his room and say God are you ready but God lives in me and if you've accepted Christ as your savior he lives within you and when we gather together the Bible says where two or more are gathered there I am in the midst of you that we have times that we have chosen to assemble together for the worship of God for the honoring of God and this is what it's called the church of the living God now again the whole premise that we're talking about is how to behave ourselves as the house of God in the house of God knowing that each part of the house of God each three of them whether it's the tabernacle the temple or the church all of them are to picture or to have the presence of God dwelling with them so how do you behave yourself in the house of God you as the church as a part of the church assembling yourselves together how do you behave yourself you behave yourself like God is with you no matter where you go God is with you if you say I am part of the church I have somewhere where I assemble together God has a purpose for me. You should live your life tomorrow. Say, I'm not going to church, but I should behave myself as a part of the church because God dwells within me. There should be a way that you behave yourself on a daily basis because you are a Christian. It's not just a Sunday thing where you put on your Sunday best and your Sunday face and you finally get the Bible and dust off all the week worth of grime and you finally get it and said, all right, now I look like a Christian. All right, today is my Christian day. Tomorrow, I take off my stuff, put the Bible on the shelf where to gather dust and I am no longer acting like a Christian. I'm part of the world and it's a different face. And some people do that. They have their Sunday face and then the rest of the week. You understand you should live your life like you have a living Savior who lives within you day to day. You know that God is with you. He sees everything you do. He goes everywhere you go. He dwells within you and it should change the way you live. It should change the way you treat your wife because you know God is with you. It changes the way you deal with your children because God is deal, dwells with you. It changes the way that you deal with your neighbors because God dwells with you. It changes the way that you live your life at work because God dwells with you. More importantly, or just the same, you represent God and the assembling of ourselves. Some people will never go to church because their Christian neighbor behaves like they do. How many times somebody have told you, well, I can't go to church because they're full of hypocrites. You know why? 
Because they met someone who didn't behave themselves like God was dwelling within them. Paul is saying, I'm writing these things unto you, Timothy, that thou mayest know how they ought to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Do you have a living Savior? Does he live within you? Does he stay with you on Monday or does he wait for you outside the doors until you come in and you open up those doors and you step in and boom, God's with you again. God stays with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's with you no matter where you go. And there should be a way that you behave yourself outside of these walls because you are a part of the house of God. A part of the church of the living God. Notice if you don't mind the last description we see here. Not only do we see the house of the living God. Or the house, the church of the living God. But turn with me back to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Sorry, 1 Timothy chapter number 3. 1 Timothy chapter number 3. And notice this last description dealing with the house of God, the church of God. We know that the Bible describes it as the house of God, which is supposed to be the picture of God's presence. The house is a dwelling place. God dwelling, his presence with us. We see that it's also described as the church of the living God. I serve a living Savior. And that God lives within me if we're a part of the church. Or <laughs> he lives within me. And if you're accepted Christ as your Savior, he lives within you. And we should live our lives like Christ lives within us. But then we see this. We see, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Notice this description. The pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar and ground of the truth. Here is the other description of the house of God. How is the house of God, the church, supposed to be pictured as? What is it supposed to behave as? As the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar and ground are building terms. The ground would be a foundation, a solid foundation. The pillar would be uh, the supporting beams of a structure. It'd be made so that way the whole building doesn't fall apart. But if there's something wrong with the foundation or something wrong with the pillars, then the whole thing falls in. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. What does this mean? That God has designed his church to be a place that when somebody is looking for truth, they know where to go to get it. That's how God has designed his church to be, to be a place, a lighthouse. That when somebody is looking for truth, they're looking for answers. Now, they may not like the answers, but they know where to go to get the answers. And that's the church. It's made to be so when someone is hit rock bottom, they come in. By the way, who comes to a church if they don't have the habit of it? Meaning, we do have people that have developed the habit of coming to church. Praise the Lord. But if somebody's not in the habit of coming to church, why do they go to church? Because they're looking for answers. They're looking for something. Why does somebody come to a hospital? Because they're sick. If people think they're doing fine, that's not when they come to a church. Anyone who comes through those doors that has never come before, it's because they've got a problem somewhere. By the way, that's why you came to a church one time in your life. Because there was an issue. Whether it's sin, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. There was a reason why you ended up coming to church. 
And other people are going to come to church because they're looking for answers. By the way, that also gives instructions how we're supposed to run our churches. You know, there's so many churches today that don't have any truth. They have entertainment. They have jugglers for Jesus, clowns for Christ, weightlifters for the Lord. They have all this other stuff, but they don't have truth anymore. And there's somebody who's looking for answers and they go in there and they don't hear anything. They don't know how to get their sins forgiven. They don't know anything. Thing. They go to there looking for something and they walk out just as lost and as hopeless as they were when they came in. That's not how God designed it. God designed it so somebody comes in those doors, they're going to hear the Bible. They're going to hear the truth. They're going to hear that God loves them and hear that there's hope. There is always hope. And people are looking for hope. How does that affect us as how we ought to behave ourselves? If you believe that this is where they could go and get answers, that somewhere where they could get the Bible that helps us as we deal with people, that we could be patient as we're inviting people. Hey, if there's anything we could ever do, please call my pastor. I want to invite you to church. And they may look at you, take it, and that's fine. But there's going to be one day that their life falls apart. They may say, life is going great right now. Things are going well. I don't need church. But one day, something is going to fall apart. One day, the wheels are going to come off. One day, their sky is going to come crashing. And they need to find answers. And if you've been the one that's consistent in living like you have a living God, they're going to say, I want to go to your church because God has done something in your life. They're going to be looking for answers and they're going to look for answers for someone they think they have it. That's what the church is for. To be a pillar and ground of the truth. To be available so when things do fall apart, they can come and see there is an answer. And there's a God that loves them so very much. And that's why we should behave ourselves as if we are part of the living church of the living God. Because we are. Because there's going to be someone who needs some answers. You may go up to them the first time. And maybe they're a co-worker. And they watch your life. They're studying you. They're trying to see if there's something different. And if there is something different. When things fall apart. They're going to come aside and say. I need you. I need answers. Can I go to church with you? That's why we're consistent. That's why we're working. That's why we try to love on folks. Because they may not need the church now in their minds. But one day they will. And they're going to need answers. God has designed it so we are the pillar and ground of the truth. We're made to be a place so when people are looking for answers, this is where they can go and they know they'll hear the truth. Again, whether they accept it or not, that's a different story. But they'll know that they'll hear the truth if they come to a place like this. So again, what does this say? Verse 15. But if I tarry long, thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God. If I tarry long, thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the church of the living God. If I tarry long, thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave in the pillar and ground of the truth. You understand, we are the representation of what people see. You know what people see about this church? What they see in you. How they see you is how they see God. How they see you is how they see truth. Why should someone that you know come into this church? Because of the way that you live your life. Remember the greatest evidence that this Bible works. 
is the evidence of a changed life. If we have a changed life, others will see it. And if we have a changed life, when the world crashes around them, they'll know who to talk to to get their answers. So when we're talking about how to behave thyself in the house of God, we're not talking about that you're supposed to wipe your feet before you come in. We're not talking about how you're not supposed to color on the walls. Those, those are common sense things. We're talking about how we ought to behave ourselves on a daily basis because of what God has done for us. Because of the assembling together. Because there is a place where people could hear truth and they could receive hope. Are we living a type of life where people know that they could come to this church because you go to it and they'll hear the answer? Is your life changed enough from God and what God has done for me that they said, whatever has happened to them, I want that. This is a type of place where people could come. By the way, as we spoke about in Sunday school, it doesn't matter who comes. If somebody comes in with a green mohawk and a cheek ring and an ear ring and a nose ring and a chain going from the ear ring to the cheek ring to the nose ring, we're not going to shun them. We're going to sit them down. We're going to open up a hymn book. We're going to open up the Bible. Someone's going to sit beside them and we're going to make them feel at home. It doesn't matter what background they have. It doesn't matter what lifestyle they have. It doesn't matter what issues or what sin they have. This is a hospital. This is where they're coming to receive the Lord and the good news. And to bring them from where they are and to bring them to the Lord. This needs to be a place where people can feel welcome so they can receive the truth. That's part of how to behave ourselves in the Life. If somebody comes in that's so totally whacked up different, that's fine. We want to take them from where they are to move them up. That's part of how we deal with people and how we treat people and how we work with people because we're part of the house of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. It should change the way that we live our life on a daily basis because of that. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.